Hi, everyone. Thanks for tuning in to this week's edition of the Marlboro Free Libraries podcast, the story of Marlboro, the past, present, and the future. My name is Lindsay, and I'm the adult services librarian at the Marlboro Free Library. Just some background for those tuning in for the first time. This project is funded by a Libraries Transforming Communities grant awarded to the library by the American Library Association. One of our goals in receiving this grant is to highlight and work together with local businesses in our community. Through community conversations with local business owners in Marlboro, which was part of this grant project, we realized that one way we could support our local business owners is by highlighting their stories through a podcast and as a new tour on our Discover Marlboro app. Our podcast features the individual stories of business owners in Marlboro who participated in this grant project and their insights on how the library can partner with its local business community. Tune in each week to listen as we interview a different business owner around town to hear the story of their business, why they got started, why did they choose Marlboro, their thoughts on collaborations with their local libraries, and to learn more about our small town. For more information on our Discover Marlboro app, visit marlborolibrary.org. We hope you enjoy these interviews. I'd like to welcome Dan and Jackie Hevins, who are the owners of Glory Winery, which is located right here in Marlboro. So thanks so much for joining us today. Thank you for having us. Thank you, Lindsay. We're super excited to be here. Of course, I'm excited to get to know you guys a little bit better. So to get started, can you tell us a little bit about yourselves and your winery? Yes, of course. Jackie, you want to take that or should I? Um, okay, I, I'll go first. So I personally am a CPA uh, with restaurant bar management experience. And that's, that's the piece that I'm really bringing into this right now. Um, I'll let Dan do a little bit of his, his background. But um, in terms of our winery, I think for us, our two really big focuses have been one, to make really high quality wine. That's the number one thing we really wanna do. And two, to be a welcoming, accessible place. Uh, we're trying to make it a place where people wanna come spend the day. Um, we wanna do good for our community and just be, be a place where um, we are good bosses, you know, and have a, have a great staff. And we've been very lucky to have an amazing staff who's come back with us season after season. So we're, we're grateful for that. But I think, I mean, I'll let Dan chime in, but those are really the two things we've been focusing on as a winery. So, so Jackie is really good at organization and, and running things and taking care of things. I basically, I, I just lift heavy stuff and move stuff around here. And that's, <laughs> that's, that's what I bring to the table. That so. is not true. <laughs> so, that is not true. Uh, but no, along what Jackie said, you know, we, um, <clears throat> Um, you know, th th this property has been a farm for, for a long time. We're really just trying to keep the tradition alive. There's many generations going back to the 1700s, and we really just want to keep keep uh, keep farming here, fruit farming. Uh, the winery, we keep wanting to just, you know, making really good wine. We're going to probably push the envelope a little bit in some uh, uh, various types of wines and ciders, which we've done uh, that have been successful. Uh, we're only going to talk about the, su the successful ones here today, not the not the ones that haven't gone too well. Um, but, uh, yeah, we, we want people to come up here and enjoy the farm. That's what we always uh, enjoyed was coming up here to the property, um, you know, for a, a while before we took over, uh, in 2020, uh, beautiful property, beautiful town. And, uh, we just want people up here to, to enjoy, uh, and have some good wine while they're doing it. That's great. 
I uh, was going to ask too, since you mentioned it, um, that the original owners, the Glories, had the property up until 2020. What made you decide to to buy it? <laughs> Good question. So we're so we're laughing because we, we think we're we're a little crazy um, in in you know kind of what what we did and what happened. But we're 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 very happy. We're very glad. I mean, it was one of those things where where uh, we've been coming up here since the mid 2000s and always enjoyed. Uh, being here, you know, we remember walking into the barn uh, and Doug doing the, the tasting when we first got here. And you could tell that, that Doug had a passion for the, you know, growing of the fruit, the winemaking process, the serving of it, talking about it. And it always just stuck out in our minds. Like you can see the, the, uh, the grapevines, you can see the apple trees, you can see the peach trees. And it was always just unique in that, that, that regard that it was truly like the fruit is right there. And then you just bring it down right here and you make wine uh, with it. So um so yeah, it was always just something that stuck out in our minds. And when it went up for sale, Jackie almost, you know, it was kind of a joke. Hey, Dan, you know, Glory's for, for sale. And I was like, all right, we're going to go, we're going to go see it. And, and uh, we did, and we came up here and we spent several hours walking through the property, just talking about it. And things just seemed to line up um, and things worked out. And, uh, you know, here we are and, you know, we're super excited. It was one of those things where, you know, we want, we didn't want to wonder what if we did that down the road. It was one of those things where if we crashed and burned, at least we did it and we tried it. We haven't crashed and burned um, to this point. Uh, so hopefully it stays that way. You guys seem to always be busy. So I think you're, you're doing well. Have, did you guys have to learn on the job? To, you said you didn't have any background in this. So what has that been like? Yeah, good question. So it, it's been a lot of fun. It's been a lot of hard work. Um, you know, I, and I think that that's one of the things that one of the themes of agriculture, it's very humbling. Um, you know, even if you know as much as you can possibly know, nature's going to throw something at you that you just didn't know. So every year is different and every, every day is different. Every hour is different. So, um, you know, jumping into things, we didn't know a lot, um, but the community has been great. You know, Doug and Mary Ellen, uh, you know, they, they, they helped for a long time um, and, you know, transferred a lot of knowledge to us, uh, but the agricultural, the, the farming community has also been great. Um, you know, introductions were made, you know, talk regularly with a lot of local farmers, local wineries, winemakers, um, and everyone's, everyone's great. It truly is a community where it's, it's one of these things where I have a question, I, you know, maybe someone who's been doing this a little bit longer than I have, or a lot longer than I have, they might have the answer. They might say, I don't have the answer, but try ABC. Um, and, and that's been great. Um, so it's, it's, you know, I, I tend to, you know, learn things the hard way and we've learned a lot of things the hard way, which is fine. I'll, I'll remember it now. Um, but it was a lot of, lot of learning, um, uh, on the job. Um, like I said before, Jackie's organization, Jackie, you know, keeps everything tip top shape. So, so that, that helps along the way. So if I mess something up, she can, you know, kind of organize it. Dan's being very kind, but he is selling himself short in terms of how much um, he's learned on the job and how much he's done every day on the farm because he's he's the one who's up there and out there every single day and learning everything that we're doing and um, trying a lot of new things. We've been making, we've planted a, quite a few new interesting things that were Dan's idea that, you know, are things that may not, haven't really been done around okay. here before and things like that. So it's, um, it's been a lot of fun to do that. As you can tell, right, he's the one who called. He's, and he's more of the, 
risk taker in terms of the coming up with the great ideas, but I mean, I'm really glad that we're doing it. So it, it works out. Could you share with us some of the new uh, things that you've planted? Where do I, where do I start? So they haven't technically gone in the ground yet. Uh, we've kind of had a little, I don't want to call it a nursery, but like an experimental area uh, where there's some different berries, um, uh, lingonberries, shisandra, um, honeyberries, but honeyberry, I don't know if that's going to work out. Um, but, uh, and then things like persimmons, um, pawpaws, I'm really excited for pawpaws. They're delicious. I don't know if they, Lindsay, have you ever had a pawpaw, they're great, but they take a long time. And, and you know, we just have to be smart about planting them, um, and uh, where to plant them on the property just because you plant something on on the property and has effect on everything else so we have to be sure that there's no negative effects with that that's why it's kind of this this you know we've taken a year maybe even two years three years for for some of the varieties where we have to see if it works doesn't make sense you know do some research talk to some more people and that's again that's where the leaning on the communities is really good uh where i can ask questions and someone might say i don't know i've never tried that okay all right well maybe we'll give it a shot and uh, maybe it goes really well, maybe, maybe it doesn't. So anyway, going into the, the berries, persimmons, pawpaws, uh, we're gonna try and kick off some mushrooms uh, also. Uh, we really love mushrooms, uh, so that's something we're gonna try. Again, maybe it works, maybe it doesn't, but uh, you know, that's, 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 uh, that's something that we're excited to try. That's very interesting. Do you have plans? Are you going to let people pick those or are you going to make them into your, your wines or ciders or are you not sure with what, what the plan is? Too far is? ahead of me, Lindsay. That's, <laughs> I, I, don't, I don't think that far ahead, Lindsay. <laughs> just trying it out. That, hey, some of the best things come out of just trying. There, there, there might be something about that. It's really at this point to try and, and grow the best fruit, to grow the best mushrooms and um, and see if we can do that. Now down the road, would it be cool if people can go and pick these berries and, you know, pick their own mushrooms? Uh, yeah, great. That that I think that definitely makes sense. That's really cool. I'm excited to see what becomes of that. And good luck with that. I've never had a pawpaw. I, I have no idea what it is. Yeah, it's 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 a great fruit. It's it's uh, it's kind of tropical in its taste. It's pineapple-y, but it has some banana hints to it. It's it and it ripens. You know. Uh, at a specific time and it's only good for about three to four days and it's you can't really pack it uh like other fruit so that's um uh it, it's just it's an interesting fruit it, it po doesn't pollinate with bees it pollinates with flies so that's that's where oh, the, the yeah the, the the little intricacies of each individual plant tree vine you really have to think about that because you don't want flies near some fruit you don't want flies near some trees but you need it pollinate the trees and another section so we have to really be careful about where we where we plant them on the property but Lindsay you'll be one of the first people I contact once we do get some pop but it's going to be many years but <laughs> I'm excited I'm excited to try one all right good so I think with for people that don't know Marlboro it's um it's a great agricultural community that is always willing to help their neighbor out um history goes back for some of these farmers for for generations like you had mentioned before your property has been a, in generations for farming. Um, do you know anything about the history of your property? Were you able to uncover any of that after you took over? So we've heard stories from, from just talking with different people, uh, obviously talking with the Glories. Uh, we understand that this used to be part of the Quimby uh, farm, oh, uh, okay. going, going back a while. 
Um, and there's various stories uh, that Quimby's actually came up and told us a story about, about the barn and how the barn's actually a mistake. It wasn't supposed to be the way it, was, it is with the high ceilings and, and it was supposed to be smaller. But I guess that was a mistake. Somehow the, you know, whoever was doing the work made a mistake. Beautiful mistake because uh, it's a beautiful barn. But um, there's that. I think one of the coolest stories that, that um, we have heard, and I haven't been able to confirm this. Um, you know, I don't know if anyone's been able to confirm this. I haven't seen anything written down. Supposedly in our back, back lot, there was a part of a trail for the, uh, um, um, the Underground Railroad. And that's, it was part of the path back there. I, that's what I've heard. Oh, interesting. I don't know. I think that's a super cool story that, that, you know, you know, you just think about the history in that and, you know, all everything that goes with that, who was, you know, supposedly back there walking through our woods and, and you know, it's just, it's pretty cool. That is really cool. Yeah. I realized that the, the Quimby farm was, was part of yours at one point. It was, and it's been, it's been so great because we have had multiple members of the Quimby family come to see us at the winery and come and support us. We've actually, we're, we're so grateful for the community support we've received. And it's, it's a lot of fun because whenever they come, they'll tell us stories from their childhood or stories that they heard from their parents and their childhood at, at the property. So they're telling us about, you know, the kids running around in the mud and then showering, like where we have the winery tables now there was a pipe coming through and that's like where the kids, if they were too dirty to go in the house, you know, too messy to go in the house or playing outside all day, they'd like shower them out down there and send them in and just, you know, things like that, that just when you're walking around the property to be able to hear those stories and hear those memories has been really great. I bet it's always really interesting to hear some of the, the families that go back generations in Marlboro to talk about the past here. Uh, the town has changed so much and then it and then again it hasn't so it's always interesting to, to listen to those stories it is it's a lot of fun so you had also mentioned that you bought the property in 2020 so right before the pandemic happened how have you had to pivot your original ideas for the property or have you really because i know wineries actually gained popularity during the pandemic it was one of the few things that you could really do in, in the beginning of 2020. So has it really affected your business, do you think, and your plans for it or? It, it definitely still has. And I think, you know, in, in a couple of ways, we were already planning to do everything outside or do a lot of things outside. So, so in that way, it definitely did fit with our plans. And we added over 40 picnic tables. We put the live music and the food outside. So we were really looking to do that. And that for sure in COVID times was something that was absolutely needed. So that really worked with the plan. But on the flip side of that, we really wanted it to be, um, you know, a, a family friendly place and a place for, you know, events and big gatherings and celebrations and all of that sort of went on hold in terms of, you know, be, being, being able to be close to people, being able to have children, close to people and around and people bringing their families and, and that kind of thing. So in some ways, definitely it fit with our plan, but in other ways, it was very difficult to try to do the things that we wanted to do. It was such a, a crazy time that I can't imagine being new owners of, of an establishment like that and then having to, to kind of pivot your plans. Yeah, there were times we were pretty nervous, but uh, you know, 
we came up with a plan and, and, uh, again, Jackie was really, you know, the mastermind behind it all and, and things worked out. Um, you know, and I think it's, it's, uh, you know, a testament to our planning that, that, you know, we were able to keep our staff safe and, and everyone felt safe being up here. And we, you know, um, that was confirmed by multiple people, you know, keep coming back. The community was great supporting us as well. Um, but it was kind of scary at times, um, kind of, you know, thought a few times what, what in the world did we just do? Um, but like I said, the community has been great. The support's been great throughout. Um, you know, obviously there were a lot other, uh, a lot of other businesses that were more negatively affected than ours. So we're very thankful for that. Um, but you know, it also forced us to think about different things that, you know, just operationally around here, uh, that I think we're better set up for, for the future too. Um, Right. I think it helps you kind of be more flexible to meet whatever comes at you in the future. Yeah, it, it kind of just it, it also gives us the, the, the confidence too that that, uh, you know, a lot of times we said, look, let's just get through this year. We can get through this year. We're going to be able to make it. Got through the year after now. So it's just a little a little more confidence that we're going to keep keep being able to go year by year. Yes. Yeah, I know. I, I visited a few times during the pandemic and it was it was definitely a great little lifeline to be able to to still meet up with a friend and, and and social distance but be able to kind of feel more human-like in a, in a sense well we we enjoyed having you up and uh we were happy that that you felt that way and hopefully a lot of other people felt that way too i'm sure because you guys were you guys always seem busy so so it's great so one unique aspect of of marlboro just speaking off of um the history aspect of Marlboro, but moving more into the present, uh, one aspect of Marlboro is that it's always maintained its small town charm um, throughout the years. How do you think being located in Marlboro has influenced your ideas for your winery? Yeah, that, that's a great question. Um, and, you know, we love the, the small town feel of Marlboro. Um, you know, I grew up in a, in a small town, very, very similar to Marlboro. Jackie also grew up in a small town. So, you know, we like that that atmosphere uh you know i keep saying the word community it's really really is a community um you know and you know like we keep saying we want people to come up here and uh, enjoy that means you know growing a little bit but we're very cognizant of the fact we don't want to get super super big um part of the charm is that it's small um it's a situation where are set up where like we can go out and we know the customers hey how you doing how's your kids how's this going on how's work how you know um how's your family because that, those are really the, the conversations that we have where you know we walk outside and you know we have five six seven eight of those conversations and we really like to keep it like that too um you know and uh you know i hope that we keep uh having people feel that way when they come here they can feel you know it's, it's small like they they're you know we know them uh, on a personal level. Um, so, you know, like I said, we, we, we do want more people to come up here. We want to grow a little bit more, um, not too big, because uh, we still want to maintain that, that small town feel. So uh, I guess to answer your, your question very simply, we really like the small town feel of, of Marlboro. Hope we contribute to that. Um, and that's, that's how we really would like it. I think that is one really nice element of, of going out in Marlboro is you always know somebody else and, and the owner knows you and and it's a nice personal touch. Let's see, it's also been really great. A lot of our staff 
are from Marlboro. We grew up in Marlboro. You know, we have a lot of families of uh, mothers and children or spouses who also all work at the winery together. So in addition to the people that we've gotten to meet, the people we know, people are coming up all the time and they're saying, oh, they're, you know, their server was also their teacher, you know, when they were younger or, you know, they know each other from something else. So it's just been really nice to have that, I think, as part of the community as well. I bet that's huge too. And that's a huge thing for Marlboro too, to have local people working at the winery. Because I feel like there's not much opportunity um, and it's really great to hear local working local. Yeah, that, that, that's been great. Um, and because there's a sense of pride in the community and it's, it's, that comes through and not even just here, but, but everywhere in town. And, um, you know, if we can play a small part in that, that that's, that's wonderful. So we've talked about the history of your property and we've, we've talked about um, your plans, but can you tell us a little bit about what goes into making a bottle of wine? Yes, absolutely. So I'll try and keep this as concise as possible. Sure. But the, so the work into making a bottle of wine, <clears throat> actually, so the season ended, uh, we, we were still picking uh, apples at least in November, but really the process to make wine that's going to be opened in 2023, 2024, 2025 starts now. Uh, it's the preparation. Um, it's getting things ready from a machinery standpoint, from a planning standpoint, from just everything. Organizationally, it starts it starts now, thinking years in the future. Um, so things like, you know, do we need to put any vines back in the ground? What are the replacement vines? Do we have the right equipment? Do we have the right tanks? You know, what, how where are we going to store um, all the bottled wine? What, how are we going to do that? Um, so, you know, now that's out of the way. The, the cool part about about the wine, not the planning years in advance, but it's it's really you know when when um, things start getting warmer, the buds start coming out for for the grapes, right? And it's it's taking care of the grapes, making sure that they're uh, they have you know the nutrients they need, um, they have everything else that they need in terms of um, you know water. Um, sun, but that's really dictated by, by nature. Uh, so it's really checking on the vines throughout the year, uh, pulling leaves, uh, dropping clusters if they need to be thinned, just to be sure that, um, you know, we concentrate on uh, the right amount of fruit. Um, that's, that's super important um, just because, you know, the, the vine only has so much energy. It can concentrate that on, you know, 30 clusters of grapes or it can concentrate that on 15 or 10 clusters of grapes. It really depends on the year. Um, and it, it makes that the wine really shines through if you can, you know, make better fruit. So I'm talking a lot about growing the grapes really because good wine is, is made in the vineyard. It's so much easier to make good wine starting in the vineyard. Uh, and that's why, you know, there, there's kind of a trend and has been a trend where more and more winemakers gravitate towards the vineyard side of things. So it's really constant care throughout the year. Um, even in the winter, it's pruning vines. It's making sure that the vines look healthy um, so that we can prepare for, for that spring. The buds come out, checking the fruit, checking the health of the vine, making sure you have enough leaves to clusters. There's a lot of different techniques. Um, but then once the season's ended, you know, we're constantly checking for sugars, for acids, for flavor um, in, in the grapes themselves. And there's, you know, depending on the wine that we're going to make, there's different profiles. So we try and target those profiles. It doesn't always work out like that. So that's where we need to adjust along the way. But let's say, you know, the grape is in a specific profile. 
um, you know, from a sugar perspective, from an acid perspective, uh, we then, you know, harvest them. And that involves multiple different people. Those are very long days uh, in the fall, um, usually in the fall, late summer, fall. And, you know, we have a great crew here working on the farm. Uh, we rely on them a lot. Uh, Kevin, Thomas, Bob, Michael, it's a lot of people, Megan, that, that go into this process. And, and uh, you know, we rely on them, uh, what they're seeing. They're out there every single day. Um, and we bring in the fruit. So we harvest all the fruit. I'm oversimplifying this process a lot, but we harvest everything, bring it in and we either press it or we crush it. So we press the white grapes, we, we crush the, the red grapes, uh, and then we ferment. What does that mean? That means a couple different things, but depending on the grape, but it's really letting the, the, the yeast eat up the sugars to make some alcohol, letting it age on, uh, depending on the wine, if it's a red wine, you let it sit on the skins and depending on what type of red wine it is, that, that. Uh, amount of time depends. Uh, it could be longer, it could be shorter, it could be a week, 14 days, 21 days, a month. And then we press the reds, we press them off the skins to get that red wine. And then there's a various process that, that different types of, you know, uh, things like malolactic fermentation, aging in barrels. Usually the, the whites, they just get pressed right off the skins and you just have the juice. Um, and then you, you know, kick off the fermentation that way. And those would typically get bottled uh, sooner than the reds. The reds typically need to age a little bit faster uh, or longer, I should say. Um, so um, I guess I guess this is a very long-winded uh, answer to your question. There's a lot that goes into it, um, but it's a year-long process. Uh, and typically, you know, when we're planning a wine or planning what we're doing, we're thinking of years, not months, not weeks. It's, it's very intensive. Uh, and, you know, if there's one thing that We've learned, at least I've learned, the decisions you make like now affect several months, several years down the road. So you make decisions now about what to do in the vineyard. You don't necessarily see the effects of that until way down the road. So you're constantly, at least me, constantly anxious. Did, did I make the right choice? Did I do enough? Did I not do enough? Did I? And so it's always, it's always on your mind. But that's 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 one of the cool parts too, because you're constantly engaged and you're constantly, you know thinking about it and, and, you know, trying to do better all the time, trying to balance that with nature too. And nature's just unpredictable. So, so let me stop there, Lindsay. Um, <laughs> I didn't realize, I always knew it was a long process, but I didn't realize just how many years in advance that you actually had to, to plan for. Yeah. So, so you had asked before about some of the newer things that we're trying to do. We're trying to, you know, we're putting in different grapes here um, and, you know, some of them might work, some of them might not. Um, and with the changing climate of the area, uh, we're trying to, you know, we have to plan out five years, 10 years, 15 years down the road, what, what's going to be the growing season 15, 20 years from now, no one, you know, you can take a guess. No one's really going to know what the answer to that question is. So as we're planning out the wines that we're, we'd like to make, we have to kind of guess at that. So we, we've taken some guesses, some educated guesses. Um, and, and, you know, we'd like to grow some different grapes, some different reds up here that maybe typically haven't been grown in the past. And we'll, we'll see how that goes. I'd, I'd love to add also that, you know, when Dan's talking about the vineyard and over trying to summarize, but it, just to think about, like we have 52 acres, over 10 acres of grapes. And what I found so fascinating about what Dan is doing every day. So, well, Dan has done such a phenomenal job of managing the vineyard. And he does a lot of this in his head, which I don't know how he continues to keep up with everything. But what's so fascinating is that even the same grape grown in different places will need to be harvested at a completely different time. We'll be feeling the effects of the rain or the 
birds or you know any of nature's factors in a different way. So having to make the hard decisions about what to do with the fruit, which ultimately again becomes the wine, because I know we've heard this quote before, but you out of very good grapes, you can make good or bad wine, but with bad grapes, you're not making good wine. You just can't. So it really needs to start at that point. So all of those decisions, almost really about every row of grapes on the farm needs to be made um, for the wines that are gonna be made a few years down the road. So it's it's fascinating and terrifying. And I know it's on Dan's mind all the time, constantly thinking about the fruit, but um, it's, I mean, we're seeing the, the benefits of that. If you came to the winery now, you'd see all of the tanks full of wine on the crush pad. I mean, we're running out of space. It's a it's a great situation to be in and it's exciting to get to the point where we're going to be able to start drinking those, bottling those. That is really exciting. Did it, We had a really rainy summer. Did that affect? Oh yeah, yeah, that, that uh, and not just here, it affected everywhere, really up and down the, the East Coast. Um, New York in particular, the, the, uh, the sugar development of the grapes uh, just hasn't been where it's typically been in the past, at least here at, at, at this farm, this vineyard, what, what we saw was, you know, we had four uh, rain events of five plus inches of rain. Uh, some of those are actually closer to seven. And at that point, like the vines just, they go into shock and they just, what, you know, what are you doing to me? We do half a foot of rain. I can't, you know, and so it forced us to harvest some things sooner than we wanted. It forced us to leave some things on the vine longer because we wanted more development from a sugar perspective. We needed the acids to drop. Uh, some of them came out really good. Some of the flavor profiles that, we, that we're getting now, it's fabulous. Um, you know, others, I wish we could have left them on the vine a little bit longer. I was excited for, for some of our, uh, I was excited for the Cayuga this year. We had, uh, you know, pull that early uh, just because, you know, when the vine soaks up all that rain, the, the, the grapes start bursting. That's not good. Uh, so we had to harvest that probably two weeks ahead of when I when I was projected. Um, but, you know, going back to the community aspect, it, it was nice to hear, uh, not nice to hear, it was comforting that other growers were experiencing the same thing. That way, I, you know, I felt I, I wasn't doing anything wrong. But, you know, the, the rain definitely affected things. Trellises were falling over just because posts, the weight of all the fruit, the posts fell over because the ground was so soft. It, it, this, this year was marked by rain. There's a lot of rain. So do grapes yeah. like a, a drier environment or, or are they fine with a little bit of rain? What makes them great? Yeah, good question. So, so they do need some rain. Uh, and, and depending on the grape, they need different different amounts of, of rain. Typically in the fall, what, what, what would be better, it'd be drier. Um, you know, you do need some rain along the way just to sustain the health of the vine. But those flavors, the sugars, the acids, you don't get the development that you need if, if you get a lot of rain just because it kind of shocks the vine, it shocks the berries, and it doesn't, you know, it's just not, not optimal. So if you guys had to choose, what is your favorite wine to to make? Is it red or is it white? What would you pick? Good question. Jackie, you want to go first for that one? Um, okay, sure. I, I'm a dry red person. That's, I mean, I like to drink all the, all of them, but the, the dry reds, the, the deep dark dry reds are the ones that I love. And that's, 
those are the ones that I'm most interested in in terms of when we're making them as well. So like our Cabernet Franc, that's that's really the one that is my favorite to make, to drink, to share. Yeah, I'm a big fan of the Cabernet Franc. Um, that's probably the, the top wine for me. Uh, if I had to pick one and, and drink that, you know, all day or, or for every dinner or whatever, that that's the one I'd pick. Um, but I'm also super excited for our Marquette, which is finally getting some notoriety in the industry for being a, a, a really good wine grape. Uh, makes a very, very nice red wine. Uh, I'm excited for an RA, which is one of the things that's shaping up to be pretty good. Uh, super excited for that. Uh, we're super excited to make some red blends this year too, just because we had a bountiful harvest. We're going to be able to make some red blends um, and kind of get those different flavor profiles from the different grapes and make a really nice blended uh, red wine. Um, you know, I'm also excited for, uh, for our Chardonnay uh, Riesling this year. Um, I love those two grapes as well, make an excellent wine. Um, and we did something pretty cool with our Save All. Save All, a typical Hudson Valley grape, East Coast grape, right? Um, but we, we had so much fruit this year, we had some trouble getting it off the vine just because of the volume. And we had a block where we actually left on the vine for probably a week or two later than, than it should have been. But the wine that came from those grapes is, is oh, it, it's, it's shaping up to be a really nice wine. It's not the typical Save All profile, kind of has a toasted feel to it, some nuttiness to it, just naturally. And I'm super excited for that wine. That sounds really good. It is good, Lindsay. <laughs> it is. It's delicious already. <laughs> and you grow all of your grapes on your property. Yes, yeah, so we, we uh, I would say it's about probably 90, 95% okay. of our wines are from a, a state fruit. Um, you know, we, we want to make more and more state fruit. So that's why we're trying different different reds. We're going to be trying some different whites, um, grapes to put in the ground over the next couple of years. Um, so the idea is eventually, you know, we'll just make all of our wine from, from uh, what we grow here. Yeah. That's awesome. And you also mentioned that you have a fruit farm too. Do you want to touch base on that a little bit? Yeah. So you got me uh, all excited about all the grapes and talk about <laughs> wine. So we do grow other fruit here. So we grow apples, peaches, uh, currants, um, going to be putting some plums next year as well. Um, different berries that I mentioned before, uh, but apples are a, a big part of the farm. Peaches are a big part of the farm. Um, so that that's, you know, again, we, I talked about growing the, the grapes, the same type of, I don't know what you want to call it, but, but passion or anxiousness of, of growing the, the, those other types of fruit comes, comes into play. Um, but we do grow a lot of fresh fruit for local markets, local CSAs. Uh, we started a fruit CSA this past year for ourselves, trying to get more people up here to enjoy the farm. Part of that is the, the fresh fruit. Um, you know, we're still packing fruit right now. Um, and that, that's gonna continue for a while as just like a lot of farms, so a lot of farms were blessed with a lot of different fruit this year. Uh, so again, it's, it's, it's another challenge. Um, we try and grow the best fruit possible, obviously. Um, you know, we're kind of known for our Granny Smith apples. Uh, which were, you know, around the holiday times, this is, it's one of the, the, the really nice baking apples. I particularly enjoyed, I love a Granny Smith apple pie. Um, but we, we uh, you know, we made a natural peach wine this, uh, this past year, because what happened with a lot of the rains uh, and we got some really hot days, a lot of peaches started ripening really quick, again, faster than we can get them off the trees. And, you know, if, it, if a peach gets too ripe, you can't, you know, you can't, you can't, 
transport it to the market. You can't transport it to CSA because it'll get all smushed and everything. So we uh, did a peach toss up here where customers came up and, you know, tossed some peaches and made a natural peach wine. Um, and, uh, you know, that's just another, another thing that we're making with the fruit that we're growing here. That's so cool. Has the fruit farm been challenging or did you kind of find it easier than you were expecting? Or I'm sure there's been some challenges, but, but how was that getting that started? So we, we always knew that having a farm, whatever, whatever you're growing, animals, tree fruit, uh, vines, whatever it is, it's, it's a constant thing. It never stops. Um, it's one thing to know you're headed into that. It's another to actually be in it. Um, so, you know, it's, it was one of those things where, you know, um, you know, if I go back to COVID, um, you know, things were shutting down, you know, businesses were shutting down, but here it was kind of like, things just kept moving along. The trees aren't going to stop growing. The vines aren't going to stop growing because of COVID. You still have to go take care of them. You still have to monitor them. You still have to make sure, make sure everything's, you know, on, on, on schedule. Um, so things never really, you know, they didn't stop. Um, you know, what, what affected the farm most last year was the frost. We had three nights of 25 degree weather in, in May and that killed a lot of the primary buds, knocked out the peaches, knocked out the pears. We, you know, it, it was, that, that was a tougher aspect than, than COVID to be honest. Uh, you know, um, from, from a business perspective. Mother nature, she's so unpredictable. You can plan and plan, but you never know yeah. what she's going to do. Yeah, you can do everything right all year round. And then five minutes of hail can just knock out your entire crop. And that's, that's just agriculture. And, um, you know, uh, there's a lot of luck that goes into that. So I could talk to you guys all day. This has been so interesting. But just to, to wrap it up, do you have any special projects or plans for the wineries that you would like to, to talk about today as our, as our final closing question? Um, I'll throw one thing out there. We are excited that we are opening up inside um, this winter. So historically the winery has always been closed for the winter months and we're going to try to be open um, indoor outdoor. So we're still doing fire pits and s'mores and things outside, but we are going to have very limited capacity inside the tasting room um, so that we can try to see if we can be there and open year round. So we are really excited for that starting this week. That is exciting because it's always so hard to find stuff to do in this area during the winter time. There's so much to do in the summer, but then when winter hits, there's not much to do. So that that's really great. So from a, a farm perspective, we put a lot of cider apples and cider pears in the ground this past spring. So we won't see the results of that for years. Um, but that's something we're super excited about to be able to make some nice cider, nice perry. Uh, so if, if anyone's had a really true, nice perry, it's, it's, it's really good. It's, 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 uh, you never think of pears the same way. So we're excited for that. But again, that's years out. Okay. Um, but we have some exciting dessert wines coming out. So we've been experimenting with that and, uh, I won't give too much away, but, but stay tuned there. Cause I still haven't tasted it yet. It's still, still, you know, in the fermentation process, things are on track. Um, but, uh, look for some new things there. That's all sounds so awesome. So for somebody who isn't local to Marlboro and might not know about you guys, um, how would they go about finding more information about you? Okay, so our website is probably the best place. It's glorywine.com, G-L-O-R-I-E. But also we are on Facebook, Glory Farm Winery, on Instagram at Glory Wine. And we try to, we're trying to be 
neither of us is very hip in terms of social media. <laughs> we have a great social media person and we are, you know, trying to learn all the things, but we are on Facebook and Instagram and our website is, is constantly being updated. Great. Well, thank you guys so much for joining us today. This was so interesting. And like I said, I could, I could talk to you guys all day and I look forward to, to seeing what you guys do in the future. Thank you so much. It was so great talking with you. Thank you for having us. Of course. Thank you, Lindsay. It was nice to chat with you today. Thanks for tuning in to this week's episode of the story of Marlboro, the past, present, and the future.